0: Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as we continue our march through the book of Thessalonians and we are slowly working our way through chapter 5. Our text this morning will be verses 14 and 15, just two short verses. Paul writes, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. There ends the reading of God's inerrant word this morning. Let's go to prayer before we walk our way through our text this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know that nothing good will be done here today unless your Holy Spirit teaches us. And so we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit will impress upon us the truths of your word and that you will, he will illuminate those for us that we might have understanding. And so I pray again that you will protect your word. Only what is true and right will be heard. And that you will build your church here this morning to the glory of your grace, I pray. In your name, amen. The church is often referred to as the hospital for the spiritually ill. It is a place where flawed people come. It is a place where though people have been saved and they have been saved by grace and they've been given a new nature, and they are new inside, yet they are in a remnant of the flesh that continues to call, cause them to sin. And so it should be of no surprise that even though we are made new, and even though we have new desires in a new direction, that when we get people together who still sin, that there's going to be problems in the church. And Paul is is completely concerned about the church, and he's completely concerned about the church and its growth. Paul has been writing this letter to them, and he's called them his glory. He wants to what's best for them, and he continues to bring up this idea of God-pleasing behavior and wanting them to be growing spiritually. He, he talked in chapter 3 about filling in what was lacking in their faith, he wants to make sure they have all the information they need. And he also wants to make sure that they are living and conducting themselves in a way that is pleasing to God. And so as he, as he continues on from chapter 3, then he continues to address areas that are lacking in the Thessalonians' faith. And he continues to, to show them that where they need to, more information, as it was when it came to the rapture where they needed to remember what they had already been taught when it came to the day of the Lord. And now as he closes this book, it's like he's starting to give us exhortations one after another to make sure that he covers everything that needs to be covered. And last week we saw that we were dealing with basically our relationship between the leadership in the church and the congregation and, and the responsibilities that were there. And how the how the congregation is to respond to those that lead them. And again, what we noticed is that Paul did not appeal to them because of their office, but he wanted you to recognize what they did and the value of what your leaders do. They are those who work diligently among you, have charge over you in the Lord, and give you instruction. And the idea of instruction was both Here's what you need to know, and here's what you need not to be doing. There was correction in that. And then he says, because of their work, you need to highly esteem them. So recognize who they are, respect them, and esteem them in love. Because of what they do, recognize the value that they bring to your life, because they are leading you spiritually, which is the most important thing in your life. Well, Paul is not done here and he continues to go on and now he's going to talk about relationships between one another in the church. And he recognizes that if the church is going to grow, if it's going to grow spiritually and to maturity, there are are certain, uh, we would say, certain individuals within the church that need help. Now we all need help, but there are those who struggle in different areas and maybe we'd say in different areas of sin that need to be addressed by the church. And the only way that the church is going to grow spiritually is for its members to individually grow and for them to continue to progress in sanctification and Christ-likeness. And I want you to think about this. Your behavior does not just affect you. Your faith or your walk with Christ does not just affect you. It affects the whole church. That may be shocking, but realize you don't live in a vacuum and everything that you do ultimately affects the rest of the church. So how you behave and the sinful patterns we have in our life ultimately will affect what? Everyone. And I want you to consider that if you do not grow and you do not live in obedience you will actually hinder the functioning and the progress of the church. Wow, that's heavy, Pastor. But that's what Paul is teaching us here today. That there are relationships in the church and there are people within the church who need help. There are sheep who are weak. There are those who struggle in areas that we need to recognize and we need to help them. Now what's interesting if you look at our text this morning he begins with we urge you brethren he says I, I i urge you i exhort you and the idea here the word here is parakaleo to come alongside and it's he's kind of combining two ideas i urge you to help others and he says brethren he's not speaking to the leadership here now, it includes the leadership, but what he's about to say is for the whole congregation. Now, Paul is already written, right, in Ephesians, that God has given to the church pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for what? Ministry. For ministry. And if the church is going to be healthy, and if the church is going to grow to where it needs to go, it cannot fall on the leadership to do everything. And in fact, if the leadership are the only ones paddling the boat, the boat's not going anywhere. He's calling for the whole congregation to be involved in this process. And he's specifically saying, you mature saints, you guys who are strong in these areas, help the ones who are weak. You'll also notice that as, as, as we look at these, admonish, encourage, help, be patient, see that no one repays, but all we seek are Commands. In other words, Paul isn't giving some nice suggestions and saying, this would be a good idea. He's saying, this is the pattern of who you are. This is what you need to be doing continually as a congregation to one another. And we're going to see that as as he calls here, we're going to recognize that ministry does not get all done on Sunday. Ministry does not get done all on Sunday. It gets done through the week. And so we have to recognize that what Paul's about to say is he's saying, you in the pew, you who are strong, you must continually be engaged in all of this. Now, we're going to see five categories of people who need help, five categories of people who are struggling in this passage. We're going to see those who are unruly, those who are faint hearted, those who are weak. We're going to see those who need patience. We would call them wearisome people. And we're going to see those who, who are wicked, those who do harm to others. And each one of these categories we will find within the church where people are going to be struggling somewhere, somewhere, somehow in one of these areas. Now before you start looking around too quickly, we've all been in one of these categories at one time or the other and we can tend to slip into one of these categories and out of these categories. So we always want to start here first but then we must recognize that we are commanded to do these things. This is why the church is called a family. This is why a church is called a body, because we are what? Helping one another. Now, we ultimately know the Holy Spirit is the only one who can change people. He's the only one who can transform people's thinking. But God uses means to accomplish his ends, and he says, you're one of those means. So this morning as we go, then, we will look at these five different groups. And we will, we will see that we need to help these people. Because if we don't, the church will never grow to the fullness of Christ Jesus. It will never grow to what it should be. And the church will always limp along. And it will never come to maturity because it's not holy. And the power of God cannot work through a church that's not holy. It will always have those people in the church who are holding it back. And instead of contributing to the body, they become those who take from the body. And so we want to, we want to take this seriously so that the church may grow to the fullness of the man Christ Jesus. Well, the first person that we are called to to help here, he says, we urge you, brethren, we exhort you, we call you to do this, is to correct the unruly. To correct the unruly. Admonish the unruly. And he says, I'm calling you, and I'm, I'm actually commanding you To admonish the unruly. Admonish literally means to place in the mind, to training by word, and hence to give instruction, to warn, to give notice beforehand, especially of danger and evil. And so we are to the idea is, is to lay it on the mind and the heart of the person with the stress being on influencing not only the intellect, but the will, emotions, and disposition. And so we are to give counsel for the avoidance and cessation of improper conduct. Alerting people to the serious consequences of their action. It causes, in some ways, for a disapproval of present conduct, while at the same time urging them to mend their ways. And he says, we're called to admonish who? The unruly. The unruly. This is a was a a Greek military term describing a soldier out of step in an army so that an army would be moving disarray and not in battle. And then it became a term that was used for those who quit the ranks and did not perform their duty. More generally, it speaks of what, what is out of order and came to mean disorderly, irregular living of any kind. Now some have narrowed this down to being idle because there's a, a related verb that means to be idle in neglect. But the, the meaning here seems to be slightly broader than that. It's anyone in the church who is not performing as they should up to the standards that, that, that is known. Now we saw that earlier in 1 Thessalonians. If we remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul writes to the Thessalonians on a similar idea, and he says, Now to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to what? Love one another. Indeed, for you do practice towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to still excel more. Verse 11, and make it your ambition, what? To lead a quiet life, to attend to your business, work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you behave properly towards outsiders and not be in need of anything. And so Paul is writing to them and saying, there are those within your congregation and maybe there are some because they have been waiting for the perugia, the gathering of God. They've been waiting for Christ's return have stopped engaging in life. They have stopped doing the things that they are called to do. In fact, we, what, what, what is the statement we say? Idle hands are what? Devil's, <laughs> devil's workshop, right? And so it, already it would seem that this, there has been bad behavior that has been creeping in within the Thessalonian church. There are those who are out of order. They've stopped working, they're not supporting their family. They've stopped doing the they're now become busybodies and they're all going about everyone's business. And so they have they are no, they are no longer doing what is required of them. And oftentimes within the church there's a tendency for those who come there and we would certainly say it was could be the case here with the Thessalonians is to what? To come to the fellowship and to live off the others. I've stopped working, but other people can support me because these people are great. They meet all of our needs. But there's also the tendency to come to church and figure that you are the one who needs to be fed all the time. You're the one who 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 is taking but never giving. And Paul says, listen... For those who are out of order, for those who are not performing as they should, we need to go to one another and admonish and say, stop it. Your behavior is not right. Your participation isn't where it should be. You're not doing the things that God requires of you. Now, I know right now you are squirming in your seat because you're saying, I don't want to do that. That's difficult. What does that even look like? Like, that just seems like, wow, how about unity of the Spirit, right? Let's all just get along, right? And yet, there's no unity without truth, and there's no unity without obedience, and so we must do what the Savior calls us to do. Now, Paul is not saying that you come with your moral superiority, look down your nose, and scold. He doesn't say that you're supposed to come and drop down on people and tackle them for everything that you see. But he does say when there are patterns here, you need to what? Humbly go to your brother and say, listen, this is what the Scripture says about this. Look at the dangers of what's taking place. You need to change. It's like Paul did for the Ephesians elders, right? He, he wept with them. He wasn't, he wasn't coming down like a hammer. But he went in alongside and he said, listen, listen, this is the dangers. This is what you need to do. And the question becomes, first of all, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be obedient to what you're commanded to do? Even if it's difficult. And do you have the humility to do this in a way that's pleasing to God? And Paul says, listen, this is what we need to do. If we are going to be a church that is going to grow spiritually, we need to hold one another accountable with a gentle, kind warning. We want to come with a passion that says, There's hurt in what I say, but I don't want to keep doing, I don't want you to keep doing that because the end of that road is has major consequences. Do we love the truth and do we love God enough? And do we love our brethren enough that we want to keep them from being chastened by God for their apathy, for their rebellion, their insubordination, or disorderly conduct? And Paul says. This is what you need to do. Now you think, well, that's the pastor's job. No, nope, not according to Paul, right? Fact is, if you do this, it makes the leadership's job easier, right? If, if, if we will just go gently to one another and if we're humble enough to receive it, right? Then it makes life easy in the church. So he says, first of all, admonish. Correct. Point out through Scripture what's wrong and call them to obedience. Warn them of the consequences of not fulfilling their duty, of not being obedient. Well, the second group we would say, he says, not only are we to admonish those, but he says there's another group of sheep that that need help. And that group, we could call them the worried or the timid. He says, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. And what we're going to see, and I just want to say this, is that ministry is not all the same. When you, when you are building something, you don't use the same tool for everything. You have multiple tools. And we need to recognize that in the church there are different people struggling with different things and we just don't use a hammer for everything. There are those, like the unruly, who need a little bit of a kick in the butt. They need to be moved on a little bit, right? We need to give them a little bit. But not everybody needs a hammer. And he says, here's a group of people who are faint-hearted." It means literally small-souled. These are people who are struggling. They are, they are anxious. They are discouraged. Things are, life circumstances are starting to, to weigh them down. And Paul doesn't say, come on, go over there, give him a boot. Come on, smarten up. You know, pull that lower lip up. Let's go. He doesn't say that. He says, these people who are discouraged encourage them. If you look at the Thessalonians, we, we recognize that there was, there was issues weighing on them. They were worried about the death of their feather, fellow believers. Where are they going? Right? They didn't know. There was persecution from the non-Christians that was making their life difficult There was the absence of Paul and and the missionaries. They had left them. There was various trials and temptations. Maybe there were some of them who were struggling to live out what they knew. And there can be a discouragement that comes with that. That's weighing on them. And Paul says, go encourage them. Literally means to speak alongside someone. In other words, you're, you're, you're in doing so to offer comfort and consolation. This term is, was used for those who lost someone, Lazarus, to come alongside and to what? Speak comfort. And he says, when we have people who are struggling with anxiety, with those who are discouraged, he doesn't say, he, he says, encourage them. In other words, come alongside them and now start to give them what? The word of God. Start to show them the promises of God. Assure them that God answers their prayers. He secures their salvation, includes them in the final resurrection, loves them eternally, sovereignly fulfills his will for their lives. None of those circumstances, none of those things are out of God's control. Give them God's answers to the problems that they see and encourage them to trust. Encourage, point them to Scripture and point them to the Savior. And so Paul says, this is what we need to do with those. Those who are struggling with their trust because they are anxious and fearful. And we would say this, you who are strong in the faith, need to come along with those who struggle and tenderly encourage that person. We want to be like Paul when he said in chapter 2, verse 7, we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children because we had such a fond affection for you. We loved you so much that we took you to our breast and nursed you along. A tender encouragement. This can include the encouragement of personal fellowship, the encouragement of prayer, the encouragement of gospel hope. Assure people of their, through Scripture, this, their security and salvation. And so come alongside them, encourage them through word, point them to the word of God. Help them to see and to look, not to their problems, but to the Savior. So Paul says, help the worried, help the timid, help them in their faith. Encourage them with God's truth. Well, he continues on with a third group. And he says, really, help the weak. Help the weak. Again, he says help literally means to hold on to or to cling to, to hold fast. It speaks of devotion, of hanging on to something. We're told to hold fast to the word of God. He says, hold on and keep holding on. The idea is you are to come up to the weak believer and you are to what? Literally hold him up, put him in your arms and hold them up. The word weak here can be used for physical strength or bodily vigor. But here it describes one who has a state of limited capacity, but not in a physical way, but spiritually. Spiritually. Now, it certainly includes the physical, but primarily in context here, he's talking about spiritual weakness. Those who are weak in flesh, weak in conscious, weak in religious system and, or commandment. And he says, for those, you are supposed to come along and help them. You are to come alongside of them. Those who struggle, we would say, in their faith. They may be weak simply because they don't know enough of the truth. Or they may struggle spiritually and morally and be morally weak. And we have believers who continually repent of their sin and then they go what? They They get just dusted off and they fall back down again and they fall down into the same thing over and over and over again. Now these people are not like the first people who are just choosing to neglect. These people who are burdened by sin, who don't want to continue to sin, but are burdened by that sin, and they continue to fall into it. They want to do God's will, but they keep on what? Falling into sin. And Paul says, this is what you need to do. You need to come alongside them. You need to help them. We're we're told in First Corinthians, uh, I mean Romans chapter fifteen. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. And so he says you need to hold these believers up. Now, if you're like me at this point, you say, "What on earth does that mean? Hold them up? Am I supposed to go grab them and?" give them a bear hug and lift them up. How is that going to help? Well, the idea here is, is that we are to be those who come alongside them. And, and we would say that in many ways, this is this is even more intrusive into someone's life where we go to them and we, we help them. And that we would talk maybe about intense discipleship here where we we go to them and we we, we, we give them the word of God and we are in their lives and we, we help them through their struggles, which means we can be those who are what? Helping them by giving them the word, but not just by giving them the word, but, but helping them strategize. How can I help you? How can we prevent you from going to the places where you sin? How can we come alongside you and, and b- make you accountable Right some of us are just simply need accountability we lack self discipline and here let me be your accountability let me be the one who helps you through this And so instead of instead of admonishing these people we need to recognize they don't need to be told that they're doing wrong what they need is help to do what's right And so we don't want to take these people and start encouraging them. We don't want to take them and start admonishing them. We actually want to help them. We want to get involved in their life. Galatians 6.1 says, if a brother is overtaken in, in, a, in a fall, you who are spiritual are what? To pick him up. This says, bear one another's burdens. Again, Intimacy come alongside. It's how the church grows. Sheep start to take care of sheep. And they begin to be in their lives. Tackling that specific area. Helping them to see God's truth. Encouraging them. Giving them accountability. Walking with them. Paul says, This is what you need to do to this group of people. Come alongside. Help them. Lift them up. Well, there's a fourth group here. He says this. Be patient with everyone. And I would really, I'm going to translate that as there are wearisome people. There are wearisome people. Now, he says, be patient, which is is really two words here. Macro, long, and thumas, tempered, long-tempered. And the idea is that someone who is not easily angered or agitated, means one's temper is long and does not give away a quick, short temper or outburst, It describes someone who is long-suffering, who even under provocation and trouble keeps from getting angry. Of course, we know that can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. But he says, be patient with everyone. Not some. Not with the ones who we get along with, but with everyone. Now you might ask, why does he place this here? Why does he place, be patient with everyone? Well, I want you to think. Let's say that you have been trying to encourage or help someone or admonish someone, and it doesn't take. Now, I don't know if any of you are like me, but there is a a tendency for us to say, I already told you that. It's very clear in the Word of God. Just get it through your head and move on. And for us who are strong, sometimes we can get frustrated with the weak. And we're just like, what is wrong? Grow up, smarten up. Can't you see this? And there can be a tendency for us to start to resent the people that we help because they're just not moving along. They're wasting my time after all because this is the fourth time we go over this. How can, you, how can you be depressed again? I've never had a depressed day in my life. I don't understand that, right? And we can, be, we can start to lose patience with the, with the people that we're trying to help. And often the areas that we don't struggle in, we're just like, come on, right? And the areas we struggle in, we tend to be a little bit more patient because I understand that, right? I understand that. But the areas that we don't, we're just like, like really, let's get, out, let's get out a two by four and let's do some teaching, right? Because this is not working. And he says, no, actually be patient, Look in your own life. Look, look at your own journey. Look where you've come from and see how teachable you are. See how much you struggled in different areas and how long it took for you to grow. And he says, be patient. Be long-suffering. People cannot, will not change overnight. I always say, if it took you two days to dig a, a 10-foot hole, it's going to take some time to fill it in. And when we fall into patterns of sin and we, when we have doubts, it takes time. And we have to be patient for God to work in their life and to show them the truth. And you can't do the work. You can only be faithful to what he's called you to do. And God will move, guess what? In his time, not your time, his time. So Paul says, you need to be what? Patient. And it's difficult. It's difficult to continually pour into someone that shows no spiritual growth. And yet Paul says, be patient. Be patient with all of them. Well, the last group of sheep we're going to say are really, we would call them the wicked. There are those who are trying to harm others. He says, see, no, see that no one repays another with evil for evil. And again, here's this, another exhortation to these weak sheep, these problem people. How do we treat those who do us wrong? And he calls us not to do harm, but to do good to those who harm us. And he gives us a negative and a positive. And ultimately, he's really forbidding retaliation. In this first negative, for he says, "See that no one pays another one, another with evil for evil." Now in the Roman world, revenge was normal. In fact, if you were done wrong, right? If you were going to keep your honor, you needed to what? Revenge it. You needed to make it right to keep your status in society. And so you can see that the thinking of the people as Paul writes this, and he says, actually, God has a different way. He says, see to it, be careful, be on guard, make sure, be make sure that you're watchful to make sure this doesn't happen. Now the idea is you make sure, so again, it is it is to all believers. It's not just to some, it's to all. It's the whole church that is to be involved in this. Make sure that no one pays evil one to another. Now it's interesting because repay means to give back or implies debt. It implies the idea of obligation or responsibility, And so he says, make sure you don't think that you need to give back, that you need to repay, that you need to give off of oneself to someone else what has been given to you. Now notice this, this word evil here has the idea of not not necessarily just of, of moral evil, but the idea is doing something harmful to someone else with evil intent. The word evil here means to do something harmful or doing harm caused by evil intent. So this isn't a matter of of doing something wrong to someone by accident. It's not like walking through the lobby with your elbows out and you accidentally hit somebody. This is sticking out your elbow on purpose to make sure you do, right? And he says, make sure that no one does harm to someone else because someone has done harm to them. He says, in, in other words, for the believer, you are not allowed to retaliate. You cannot return what has been given to you. Scripture tells us that the Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, we don't have the right to what do harm to others. Now, you might think, it says repay another with evil for evil. You might think, that doesn't happen in the church, does it? I mean, we're all Christians, right? But no, it does, right? There are times in the church, there are individuals who are living in disobedience. There are sometimes those who are in the visible church who are unbelievers, And this is exactly what happens within the church. Don't think that you're not capable. Don't think that we're not capable because we are. We still live in the flesh that is susceptible to these things. So he says, don't. When someone does evil to you and harms you, don't turn around and give it back. Again, this runs against one of our our strongest inclinations in the flesh. We want to do them harm. They hurt us. We want to get them back. But Paul says, but. A strong contrastive conjunction here, as we took in hermeneutics. In contrast to returning evil for evil, he introduces a behavior that in both the ancient and the modern world stands in radical contrast to retaliation. He says, actually, it's not good enough for the believer just not to, return, not to return harm and evil. It's not good enough. First of all, we would say that the inclination to return evil is sin in and of itself. You don't get just, you, you don't get to... Well, at least I, you know, I wanted to hit him, but I didn't. That inclination is sinful as well. And he says it's not only not good enough for the believer not to retaliate, he says positively there's something that you must do to those who cause you harm. And this is just radical when you think about it. You must always seek to do good. Always. Now that little word there is troublesome because it doesn't seem like there's an exception clause there. He says always. Without exception. Every time you are done evil, you are to seek. And, and this word seek here is a strong word. It means it's used negatively to prosecute or persecute. And he says, with the same enthusiasm that someone prosecutes you and, or persecutes you and hates you, you are to press just as hard after and earnestly and diligently to obtain to do good for those who do you evil. And you think, I can do that. I can. I'll pray for them. <laughs> That's what I'll do. I will pray for them, I will wish them well, and that's what I need to do. Unfortunately, that's not what Paul says here. He says, seek after that which is good. And the word good here, again, has the idea of of expressing itself in good works. It means to do something profitable or benefiting others. It is useful, helpful. In other words, you have to turn around and do something nice and kind to them. You have to do something for their good, not yours, for their good. And it has to be expressed in action so you don't get to say, oh, I'll just pray for them. No, actually, you have to do something about it. Right? It's not good enough to feel good. You have to act good. And so this is why when we were saved, God saved us by his grace unto what? Good works, which he has before ordained that what? We walk in them. And this is one of them. That those who persecute us, those who cause us trouble, those who cause us harm, we are to turn around and do good for them. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, I just don't want someone to do something harmful for me because this just adds more work to my plate. But the reality, this is exactly what we're called to do. Right? You're saying like, wow, I was doing okay. Now I got to do something nice. But we're called to do this in the power of the Spirit. Every kind of activity undertaken for the name of Christ, everything that is... Produced by the Holy Spirit, we are to do for others. He says for one another, that's those in the church. And don't be shocked, we need it in the church. We're not, we, we are not what we will be. There are churches full of people who are in the process of sanctifications, whose sanctification is incomplete, who are in different er- various stages of that. And so we need to do that to one another. And then he says to all men. All men without exception. And he says this is what we're called to do. We are called no matter who does evil to us and who does harm to us with evil intent. We are turned to turn around and do what is good for them. We are to do good for them. So it, it, now he broadens it. It's not just those in the church, but to all men, whoever comes into your life. And Paul says, this is, this is how the church's testimony goes forth. When, when the world sees a group of people who are behaving this way, they say that's different. And God sometimes will use your obedience, even to those outside the church, to make Christ appealing to them. That you ordain the gospel. Sometimes it just brings more evil and harm. And then in that case, God says, well, just forget about that. That's okay then. No, keep doing it. It's again a, 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 a command that is keep on doing this. Every time you're harm. With always without exception, continue to do this until you die. And so Paul, Paul says to us, this is how we are to behave. This is how we deal with those in the church. Now it doesn't mean eventually we're not going to deal with the sin. Maybe we're gonna, these are the people that, are, that need to be admonished. But this is how we are called to treat those people. So Paul says, this is, this, is what, this is how church life looks like. It's not the pastor getting up on Sunday, preaching. It's not, it's, it, the, that's part of it. It's not the pastor chasing you down every time he thinks he sees something wrong. But it is body life where we look around and we say, who needs help? And I would say this, it's not just that you look around to see who needs help, but you need to recognize when you need help. And if you're weak, find someone who's strong. If you're discouraged, find someone who continually encourages. Find the person that, that the mature believer in the church to help you move along. We, 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 often, are, we often wait. We talked about leadership. We often wait for leadership to chase us down. We said last week, actually, it's your responsibility to what? To know him. Here, it says there's an onus also upon the weak brother to what? Find the strong brother. And if we're both looking for one another, ultimately, what will take place? There'll be growth. Right? The church will work the way it should be. And so we need to recognize if our church is going to grow, if our church is going to reach maturity, if a church is going to be a place that is a light to the world, we are going to have to what? Do this. Each one of us needs to be involved in ministry. You don't need an office. You don't need a Sunday school class. You don't need an assigned ministry. You've already got one. Just be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us do these things so that our church might be the perfected bride for our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us the grace to do the things that you have commanded in your word. May we not those who leave it for others. May we not toil in disobedience. But may we be active in following after you. And I pray that you would make us those who would perform these commands so that the church might take the shape and form that you desire it to do, to be, and that we might grow into a powerful church because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are living in obedience and that you would be pleased with us, I pray in your name. Amen.